Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Follow the Profit is a production of Gingrich 360 and iHeartRadio. So the job market is inching back to normal, but some analysts say workers in certain fields have some amazing bargaining power to craft the job they want. But for some employees, they say that is not enough, and they are taking the big jump to start their own business or downshift their hectic work life. The main driver for that? Well, you only live once. Plus, tomatoes or tomatoes. I don't say tomato. No matter how you say it, it's big business. And our next guest created the lead tomato processor in the world. But it's really his business and the way he runs it, and also his general worldview that really grabs my attention. And he's running a billion-dollar company, but he also has some fascinating insights into the world today and where we're going. He's going to join us and tell us all about that. I'm David Grasso, and this is Follow the Prophet. You're looking to get rich quick. Well, this isn't your podcast. Today, we're going to talk about tomatoes, management, and capitalism. You're going to get to see the connection. And when you listen to Follow the Profit, we kind of deconstruct what's going on in the world around us. And really, you have to understand the world around you if you want to make your money work for you. And on that note, YOLO, what a Gen Z word, right? You only live once. I feel like a lot of boomers are living by that philosophy these days. And a lot of people go back to the year 2011 and one of my favorite rappers, Drake, and they say that that's where it comes from. Others say it originated back in 96 when I was in seventh grade from the name of a ranch belonging to the Grateful Dead. Or it might be a reference to a German play from 1774 called Glavigo. Either way, it's the general mindset that really is everywhere today. Screw it. Seize the day. Trust little in tomorrow. You only live once. And that's what a number of people have been saying when it comes to COVID. Yeah, I've kind of done that. The type of person I'm talking about are people like me. They're millennials who have weathered the pandemic with endless Zoom meetings, of which I am currently on one right now. Hours and hours of using the Peloton and figuring out what to cook because we're so damn bored that we're cooking. 
They are the ones, we are the ones rather, who are able to save money while working at home. And we're watching, if we're lucky enough to own our own homes, watching the values of our assets rise. And that cushiness has made us all think, hmm, maybe I can take a risk. Maybe I can have a new career, endeavor, side project, start a business. But, you know, suddenly lately we're seeing life come back to normal, right? There's less COVID. More people are willing to get the vaccine and people are getting back to business. But there's a certain group that never wants to go back to the old world. They never want to go back to the office, the nine to five, the rat race. They would rather quit than go back to that. I think I might be one of those people. Like my friend, he's a 30 something year old attorney. And, you know, he's done the whole nine to five thing. He lives 45 minutes from his office. And uh, I don't know if that's really sustainable in his life or desirable. I think he views work differently now. Maybe he wants a family. Maybe he wants some work-life balance. Maybe he doesn't want to just play office every day. I feel like a lot of people are in that position. I know I am. And then there's people like me, reporters, that we went from doing nothing to doing everything to doing nothing because we're freelancers. Well, maybe we now see other ways to get freelance work. Maybe our work isn't so restricted to one area now. Maybe we see that there's other profit opportunities, not just in our area of expertise, and that the nature of work has changed and that our clientele is now geographically distributed. So it really doesn't matter where you live or what you do, you can kind of do anything. And you know, even if you're a corporate person, you're dreading that email that comes into your inbox and says, you got to come back to work at that glass building that's either downtown or in suburban nowhere land. And you know, most of us are kind of over that. That was a stupid world. Driving an hour to then squeeze in an hour for some overpriced bad lunch. Maybe we're more interested in working from the Caribbean or you know, maybe we're more interested in cryptocurrency and how you know, maybe we can make our money work for us. Or maybe we're interested in politics. Maybe one of our friends, you know, a lot of us are coming of age as millennials. I have a friend here running for judge and I support him, right? Maybe I'm more interested in that than being in some suburban glass bubble that, you know, isn't quite interesting nor really fundamentally productive or accommodative to human nature. So businesses understand that the pandemic changed us and the pandemic really changed business as well. So they're trying to figure out, especially corporate people, how do we keep people around? But employees have more bargaining power now. The baby boomers, a lot of people who are our parents are retiring and remote work is kind of normal. And if CEOs think that they could just have everyone come back to the office nine to five as if nothing happened and nothing has changed, they are clearly delusional. A lot of workers like the change. You know, it was a little lonely during the pandemic, but the flexibility was great. Employees really saw who their bosses really were as they dealt with this insane world that we call 2020 to 2021. And the more workers felt like a cog in the wheel, a number, a statistic, the more they started their own businesses. Or maybe they took on side hobbies that they genuinely enjoyed. Or maybe they stopped caring so much about money because the little assets that they bought before the pandemic are worth that much more. And you really saw who your overlords were during these problems. Everyone's character was just made perfectly clear. And you can't unring that bell. You can't make people go back to the old world because that no longer exists. So to the corporate titans of America and to the 
dreamers and doers who are at the very top, which include my next guest, the world has changed. And my guest understands that and understood that prior to the pandemic. But there are a lot of people who are woefully unaware that they're not as powerful as they were prior to the pandemic. And if they don't engage their employees, freelancers, contractors, consultants, and understand that the game has changed, well, they risk being left behind. We're going to take a quick break here. Be right back. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. So as you know, we call this podcast Follow the Profit. Well, for a moment, we're going to call it follow the pomodoro, which means in French, it's earth apple. In Italian, it's actually golden apple. But 
It's actually funny because tomatoes are actually from the Americas, right? They're not vegetables, first of all, they're a fruit. They're technically berries if you wanna get super specific. And tomatoes are actually from what we know today as Mexico. The Aztecs called them tomatos. And that in their language meant fat water thing with navel. And when the Spanish, you know, showed up in the 1500s and met the Aztecs, they returned to Europe with these things, these red things. And over the centuries, the pronunciation kind of changed. And in the 1930s, there was a musical debate around this with the original song lyric, you say tomato, I say tomato, which, you know, some people say potato, potato, but I don't think anyone says potato. But the tomato itself, which has come to be a mainstay in our way of life, but was part of the Colombian exchange. Remember, back in Europe, there were no tomatoes before the Spanish colonized Mexico. So it actually went backwards. It's like chocolate and tobacco. So the tomato itself could be finicky to grow, but it's affordable and it could yield a lot of produce. And for our next guest, the tomato is the thing. That's everything. His life is one big tomato. He's the founder of Morningstar Company. And they supply, get this, 40% of the U.S. industrial tomato paste in diced tomato markets. And they're also the global leader in tomato processing. Chances are, if you like tomatoes, or if you're like me, I don't like specific tomatoes, but I like all tomato products. Yeah, ketchup, sauce on pasta, et cetera. It probably came from Morningstar. So the other thing about Morningstar, it's different. It's not your typical company. There's a reason why they do things well. Morningstar doesn't have really managers or bosses, just colleagues. And some say a method probably works in a small company, but Morningstar actually has 600 employees, thousands of seasonal workers, and makes close to a billion dollars annually. So definitely not small tomatoes or potatoes or whatever you want to call it. Well, how does this all work? And who's here to unpack this all? Well, none other than Chris Roofer joining me today from Sacramento, California. Chris Roofer, how are you doing today? Uh, great. I'm just fine. So tell me about your history. How did you come to encounter the tomato? What is your background? Well, I'll tell you about background. I'm very impressed with your research. Uh, you've done a really good job, and you caught the point that uh, the tomatoes are a fruit and not a vegetable. As far as starting and whatnot, I grew up in a family where I see my grandfather doing something. My father worked for my grandfather, and I always just pictured I would just go through the same scheme, like on a farm, working with my father, uh, being around him a little bit, and he drove a truck, and, and a friend of his... Uh, hauled tomatoes from Merced, where I grew up. I graduated from high school and, and hauled them down to Orange County, where my father had moved. So I, I just got an idea for a summer job. So I, uh, I rented a truck. My father said, you can't rent a truck that big in that day. And I uh, went and talked to the big truckers who worked for the processors, and you become a sub hauler. So again, I rented a truck, rented some trailers, and bought some equipment. Had very little money, virtually near zero. I think I got a loan for $2,000 my dad signed for. And I went to hauling tomatoes. And from that, you start seeing how the world works. It's disappointing to me that a lot of kids and folks in high school or, or college don't do these internships because they've already got their life planned out for them in a way that they're searching already and then they're going to be some intern or some such. I went and drove a truck. So that's a lowly job, apparently. They think it is, but you get to see the world. And so I saw how, how things were working, just curiosity. You could see the growers, what they do in the field. And you go to the, the factory and that works in a certain way. I would tour the factories, get kicked out, and, uh, <laughs> get on the growers' harvesters. Just inquiring, just the, I think it's a sense of curiosity. And eventually uh, getting out of, uh, out of college, I got a few degrees. So I had some time there, drove a truck in the summers for five years. 
Got an MBA from UCLA. I never interviewed for a job. I moved up to Davis and continued to research some ideas I had. And that, that evolved to working for a fellow in the industry who was a grower, but he owned part of a potato processing plant and did harvesting and trucks. And so I got to see more of the reality of how the industry worked and uh, continued to work on my ideas. Uh, spent all my spare time trying to advance the, what I thought would be a tomato processing facility, which was uh, at the time, tomato paste was known as a byproduct. And whether you're talking to bankers, people in the industry, investors, this is just a byproduct. You can't make money at that. It's stupid. But all my research showed that it was a meaningful product. At about 20% of the industry, tomatoes went into bulk tomato paste. Uh, when I put the numbers together on what the prices had been and what the cost structure I thought would be, there was a substantial difference there, profit opportunity. And so I continued to pursue that and finally raised the money to build a factory. So I guess where my brain goes, Chris, is that a lot of people in your social position at the time probably would have thumbed their noses at what they would have considered blue collar work. But through this blue collar work, you kind of found a market opportunity. You kept on going down the tomato trail. And then suddenly you figured out that there was this massive market opportunity that was completely unexploited, which I think a lot of us always assume that every profit opportunity in the world has already been exploited and taken. Uh, that's exactly it. You know, I'm going to UCLA in business school and the others are going to their Morgan Stanley or their, their Arthur Anderson for summer internships and I'm out driving a truck. I mean, this is just loony. And then as I was, I got an apartment in Davis and I lived there for 10 years and my friends, which I still know today and uh, not say facetiously, but they got married to a very nice ladies and they got their homes and the nice cars and I'm living in an apartment living on $6,000 a year. But you know, you're driving your passion and it's somehow it's just, it was all fine. Seeing the reality of how the world really works, that's where the opportunities are. Yeah, I mean, everyone around you is telling you that tomato paste is a byproduct and that it's garbage. And you're seeing that you can build an entire industry on this. Did you feel like the crazy person at the time? <laughs> no, I never felt as a crazy person. But when you've got passion about something, it just, it's just push, push, push and you're driving to what your passion is and other people are saying this, this, and this, but you just keep going and you're finding it, you're weaving yourself through these paths of, of resistance and opportunity. And finally that it opens up into an opportunity. Even when I was building the plant, I designed each one of the plants. I worked directly with electrical engineers, civil engineers, mechanical engineers, and then worked with the contractors directly so I was basically the general contractor and I'm whatever, 32 years old or something. But building the plant is like no fear. You don't have any, any fear when you're young and, and you haven't got too much at stake. So you're just plowing ahead. Now, if you don't listen to people at all, because there's a few mistakes I've made and if I had listened to the people around me, I, I'd been better off. But on the other hand, if I listened to everybody around me from day one and since then, I never had the successes that I had. So it's a balancing act on how much advice you take, how much you listen to other people. You need to listen, but uh, you know, give it some thought, consider those issues, and, uh, and deal with them. So I I'm too young to remember a world where tomato paste wasn't valuable. Was tomato paste not used in as many products back then? So the, historically then, certainly 2030s and 40s and 1950s, you harvest tomatoes, they were put in the containers, they were brought to the factory, and they were unloaded, and then you'd process them and make the ketchup, the pizza sauce. You're putting the finished products into the final container right there during the day in California. So what happened was the technology and the change in geography and other elements 
brought to bear the opportunity to make bulk tomato paste efficiently, high quality, to make the tomato paste in California, ship it to the East Coast, Midwest, where their consumers were, and then make the finished product year-round. So all that equipment that was used and the overhead and the, the quality control people, manufacturing people, could work year-round making finished products instead of just in a three-month period in California. So it was a transformation in the manufacturing method to make the finished products, and that's the, the waves that, that, that I wrote to some degree uh, caused to happen. So do you think your story would be possible today considering the way California is and the way the world is today? It certainly is possible. In fact, that's a strategy that, that we're following right now is, is to look for those same opportunities. As far as me driving a truck as an individual and starting out that way, that's definitely tougher because the more regulations inhibit the smaller folks from getting going. And I think if you look at the uh, statistics over the last 20, 30 years, there's all this excitement and, and, and about entrepreneurship and schools and, oh, that's exciting because you've got Elon Musk out there and Steve Jobs and, and what they've done. So there's all the publicity there. But the reality is there's fewer small businesses starting. There's fewer entrepreneurs out there. What, what's causing that? Whether that's the change in a culture of how human beings are you know, reared from home and whether it's the culture of everybody's a winner now and and the self-esteem movement, which went backwards, I think. Whether people have that same opportunity, I don't want to call it guts or not, but just there's a confluence of, of characteristics and, and situations which allow someone to take advantage of the or to pursue these opportunities. So there's character, like you, know, you have the opportunity to do it, you've got the, the drive to do it, you might say, this self-confidence to, uh, to continue on, to you know, live in an apartment, <laughs> living on $6,000 a year while you're Friends are, are having their nice lives and very professional incomes and professional status to do that. And then there's the economic and social environment that allows you actually to start something up and grow, which more regulations of, of how to do things uh, inhibit that capability. Do you feel respected as a business leader in your state? No, I don't because I'm just a an introverted uh, person. I don't look for any publicity whatsoever. So I don't know what you mean by respect the person in the state because I'm not a statewide or, or even a citywide personality. So I'm a 10 out of 10 extrovert. So you've probably noticed that about me virtually already. As an introvert, how do you lead a company that's so large? And how do you, how do you balance your own personality with being the leader? A few years ago, it was very interesting. I, I read a, uh, an article and it, and it made a differentiation between shy and introvert. And I always equated the two. But it described a, a shy as a social disease. Well, that, of course, threw me back. <laughs> Had to think about that, but I think there's truth to that. Uh, but introversion, extroversion is a question of where you get your energy. So where you get your energy from other people as an extrovert or you get your energy from more of a, you know, being alone and, and, and thinking and studying things. So, and you need a mix for a good company. You really need a mix because one, they, they, there's a balance there and the introvert will miss things and the extrovert will miss things. So you need a good balance uh, to, to have a larger company. But operating enterprise, I, it's just being a person and I don't see any difference. I think it's more of a, it's just natural in a sense if you're passionate about what you want to do and other people can pick that up and they're attracted to the situation that, you, you, that you're developing, then you all get together and make things happen. So it's, uh, I don't see a leader is not necessarily the one that's just talk, 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 but you, you're, you're, you've got an example. You're setting an example of the passion and direction for what you want to achieve in an enterprise 
for me, a leader is someone who comes up with ideas, one, and number two, takes the initiative to make things happen. So let's talk about initiative. A lot of times big organizations like yours have a lot of rules written and unwritten and they have management practices and they have a culture and they have a hierarchy and they have a chain of command. Your approach to these management practices is very unique. Can you tell me more about that? Yes. So we have a hierarchy too. There's hierarchies everywhere. If you think about it when you're 10, 12, 13, 14 years old, if you're going to go play baseball, there evolves a natural hierarchy. We need two teams, right? So you'll be the captain on this team, you'll be the captain on this team. And that, that just evolves the recognition. And it may not be the best player. It could be the extrovert, that the ones who's the talking more and the ones who, who's more friendly with folks. They become the leader. It depends on the situation and what, what you're doing. I believe in a natural hierarchy. We call it a circumstantial and dynamic. So if it's baseball and, and these folks evolve to be the leaders in baseball, but then another day you're out there and, you, and you're, you're just inside, it's raining and you, and you look around and you're playing chess. Well, who's going to be the leader there? They uh, start playing and so-and-so, a different person ends up being kind of the winner and he's, he's, he's the winner half the time. Well, then you get respect and, and leadership capability from your capability there. So it depends on what the issue is in a company. And there's lots of issues. And whether it's sales, whether it's finance, whether it's manufacturing, technology, engineering, all these different aspects of a company, which there's hundreds that where people have an opportunity to be the leader. And so it's, an, it's a natural evolution in our, in our enterprise versus a, a dictated or programmed hierarchy. Well, that sounds like an organic tomato, right? You're not throwing pesticide <laughs> on it. You know, you're not. You're trying to just let people do what they do naturally. When I was reading about you, Chris, I kind of do that with my own employees. I just didn't realize that that was a philosophy. I always tell them, what title do you want? What do you do best? I'm not going to force you to do something that you're not good at. That would be horrific on a personal level. I can barely add, Chris. So if you put me in accounting, I would probably be a disaster. But I can give you, you know, an extemporaneous speech in front of a, a room full of reporters, no problem. So we all have our core competencies, don't we? Right. Yeah, that's the key is trying to recognize that. And not everybody recognizes it themselves. But if they're given some freedom to move around, they'll find their, their core competency. If you allow the organization to, to float and be flexible, and the people within it have more decision capability, they can find that, that spot more likely. And maybe it's a 10 or 20% modification of what you thought their contribution would be going into the situation. But if you can make a 5 or 10% switch and people are happier by 30%, that's a big win. But Chris, unfortunately, this sounds like the exact opposite of the way the world is run today, whether it's corporate or government, and I don't want to pick on a certain sector, is like we have these change management consultants that we pay umpteen dollars. A bunch of my friends work in this industry, and they live in much nicer apartments than I do. And they, they come into an organization like yours and they tell you, Chris, you're bad. You're making this tomato paste bad. Your employees are bad. Your distribution's bad. Here's a, a million dollar report that we wrote about how you're bad and how you should change and how you know, you're doing everything wrong, but then we're not gonna do anything of it. And then they take that report, throw it in the trash can and then nothing ever changes. And I'm describing this for both government and the private sector. Why is it like that? Well, that's a, that's a big question, and it's a, just a big guess on everybody's part, uh, and mine also. 
And you know, the consultant thing is, is, is a weird thing. I'm not sure how the, the folks that become consultants actually get there because I would be a professor and writing books like a consultant or be a consultant. But for some reason, if I've got a thought on how something should work, I want to make it work. The consultants that come in, I just can't help to think they can't do that. They can't make it happen. <laughs> Something's different. The general management consultants, uh, you know, unless you get involved really and you actually have worked in a facility, you work with these people, it's hard to believe from my perspective that their advice can be as spot on as it would appear. Wow. Or they would like it to appear. Well, so there's a whole industry in Washington with these consultants and governments are very complex, right? You run a company, but government in some ways is even more complex than private companies because they don't have a bottom line. And this consulting class seems to run Washington. Well, on that score in government, and the same thing with a lot of foundations and charities, which you got to watch out, there's no bottom line. There's no, did we do good or did we not do good? How do you know? It's a, it's a guess. So we think it did good. You know you did good or not. If you put a product on the shelf and it sells, if you manufacture a product and it gets to a distribution and it sells, where people have their own dollars, which they worked hard for, and they're willing to sacrifice their dollars that they earn from their work to purchase this item. That's proof and pudding on whether it's worthwhile or not. But in government, we did these things and there's, there's, there's no measure. So it's very easy then for co-consultants who can talk well and, uh, and write well, frankly, and they're smart. And so they can come up with logic for everything. I know when, when you're a little kid, you know, you get to be three, you are now a lawyer. You, your daddy, mommy, daddy says, why did you do that? Why did you throw all that ketchup on the new wall? It was just painted. <laughs> There's a reason, but it's, but you know, it's the same as uh, when you go to court and it's uh, well, why did you kill those three people? He has a reason, <laughs> but is it worthwhile or not? So the consultants can come up and, and philosophize. Uh, they're sophisticated and they give good reason for things. And if you don't have a bottom line though, you can rationalize anything. We're going to take a quick break here. Be right back. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. 
Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Chris, you've seen a lot of changes over in your neck of the woods, and you're in an industry that depends on the earth. And, you know, a lot of environmental problems in California, specifically water, adverse weather events, regulation. You're operating in a high tax, high regulation state, and initially in a state with a lot of environmental problems. So how have you found a way to, you know, continue to thrive and support your employees and keep control amidst, you know, California is a a bit chaotic. Well, it would appear to be chaotic in one sense. And the environmental issues have, uh, the states of weather and whatnot has has not changed much at all. As far as water issues, you've got, again, people without a bottom line. Growers have put a value on water. Citizens put a value on water. But uh, the environmentalists, and everybody's an environmentalist, frankly. I I want a clean environment. Who does not want a clean environment? That's stupid. Everybody wants a clean environment. Everybody wants clean water, clean air, et cetera, et cetera. But if you restrict the flow of people's capabilities to work together, then you get disruptions. So I have a, and others have a phrase too. We, you know, nature gives us maybe more or less water, but government creates the shortage. Prices go up when there's a shortage. The prices going up cause things to happen. In society where people now conserve that resource, use other resources, and the people that are experiencing a very high price, they're encouraged to, to expand, to provide more. It's a very good process if you allow the economy to work. Capitalism is simply a, the free trade of goods and services. So when you interrupt that opportunity for human beings to solve problems, particularly at a local level where they really understand the issues, then you throw regulations on top of something that's supposed to be good for everybody, but it's never good for everybody. There is no average, and there's people's values are all over the map. They do make decisions for all of us and throw these regulations on, and that inhibits the capability of human beings to solve problems. So that's the biggest issue that we've got. And a perfect example is a few years ago, the goody two-shoes passed a law to say that everybody deserves three days sick leave. Okay, fine. Sounds good. We're processing tomatoes. And about five years ago, when this law went into place, I'm getting calls and I'm talking to folks at the factories and we got so many people calling in sick. So we're here at the end of a season having 10, 15% of our workforce not showing up for work. And we got harvesting people, trucking people, processing people. And if if 15% of the truck drivers don't show up, We can't harvest those tomatoes and we can't process them, even if there's all the harvesting people and the processing people show up. Well, then you got 10% of the processing people didn't show up. Why? Well, they're all taking this freebie that was given and they're not sick, but they're calling in sick. So now they're expanding that to a few more days, I guess. And so it's disrupting our operations in a way which is, is tough. It's very, very unfortunate because poor people pay for all of this because the cost of operations goes up our efficiencies go down, costs go up, prices go up. 
And very unfortunately, what happens is that people think, well, business is paying for it, but business is an abstraction. People pay for it. So the prices go up of tomato sauce or shoes or cars. Someone who's well-to-do, at this point in, in, in my life, I'm booked up for material goodies. But you know, there's a lot of people that are not, and like 99% of the people, and particularly there's probably 10, 15, 20% of people you call poor, and if that cost of tomato sauce, the extra cost 10% of the goods and services, they now can consume 10% less real stuff you deal with it as a business person, you're just dealing with it. Me personally, I, I look at it somewhat more philosophically and take that approach and what's going on long-term here with these regulations, what's happening and how's the structure of society going. So we all want to be good for everybody and, uh, but, and do good things and help people, especially people that are un under the weather and, and have a tough time and, and underprivileged folks. That's important. But to the folks that are trying to do that, they're trying to do it in the short term. I mean, in the long term, it hurts. But when people start talking about zero carbon in 20 years, and I'm looking at it from a scientific perspective and a business perspective, but physically, how, I don't see how this is going to happen. We're putting in like 48 charging stations at this hotel for Tesla. 48 Tesla stations, if being used at the same time, is the same amount of electricity for one of our major factories. It's amazing. So now thinking of how they're going to distribute this amount of electricity for everybody's home that has an electric car, it's humongous. You want to talk about environmental issues and sites, the wires, the cables, the amount of electricity it's going to have to run through every neighborhood is startling. I don't think that politicians are seeing anywhere near down the road to reality on what's going to happen here or what, what's going to take for this to happen. I'm looking at it and saying, no way. So we deal with the regulations as any business person would. We just plow through. I mean, what you're saying, uh, Chris, is a lot of the stuff. Environmental issues are a lot more complicated. I was an environmental studies major. They're a lot more complicated than what it seems to people. It's not just about recycling or anything. You know, this is infrastructure. This is this is everything. It's it's our life. We all want a clean earth. And I thank you for mentioning that. But additionally, you're also pointing to the erosion of the middle class, which is a major theme in American society, where politicians of all varieties, in all fairness, come out and make these arbitrary rules, and someone else has to pay for it. And typically, like you're suggesting, it is the middle class, which drops down to the lower rungs and creates an ever-growing class division in America. And that's, to me, that's a lot of the explanatory variable for our crazy politics, but that's just me. And I don't know if you agree with that. Take a look at the actual statistics on that. And I think you know, the statistics that I see, uh, your final conclusion I think is correct, but the actually decreasing middle class, a large factor of that is people moving up to a wealthier class. So what does happen as economies, and Chile's gone through this the last 50 years now, and I think, see, I see this in societies left and right, you get a system of good values. Call those good values to the old basic, uh, honest, hard work, respecting other human beings type of values. And you, you get that and you have a, quote, a capitalist society or a free society. Again, capitalism is simply the free exchange of goods and services. Capitalism is not a business. So business is business, and capitalism gets a bad name only because there are some bad businessmen. And so business has some cheaters like any other game. 
And so they get a bad name for business. And then, of course, businessmen going to government to get subsidies and favors gives business some businessmen and then business a bad reputation, but then goes on to, to the concept of capitalism. Capitalism is simply the free exchange of goods and services. Who would be against that? That two human beings can actually relate to each other voluntarily. <clears throat> Nobody. So we evolved to a, a society of these values and things just take off. The uh, 1700s, the 1800s in America, and of course getting into the 1900s, phenomenal growth, growth not just economically at all, but in sports and culture, every, everything in our, it just flourishes. Uh, Chileans, well, I think it was 1975, there was a dictator, whatnot, Allende or something like that. Milton Friedman. Allende, Allende, Allende got taken out and he was replaced by uh, Mr. Pinochet. And Pinochet yeah. brought in the professors from the University of Chicago, yeah. including Milton Friedman, to set up a free market economy. Right. And so if you take from 75 to the year 2000, things just exploded and did great. This economy takes off. And so the poor people, frankly, if you look at the statistics, their standard of living doubles, doubles. And if you want to study it really around the world, the countries that have the more capitalist societies have fewer, quote, rich compared to the average. There's, a, there's less of a spread. You go to South Africa, India, these other countries, there's in Mexico, there's a, it's the, the richer up here, the, the people owning 10% of the wealth is a higher proportion of society. So you have the economy growing. And what happens though, is that the, the, the wealthier people, the people that are now are free, the entrepreneurs that happen to take advantage of the opportunities and they go from, you know, X to, to Y, they're like, their standard of living goes up, that's fine. But they start driving, you know, they get a Maserati or they see the Rolls Royces driving around. And so then that gives an opportunity for some people in our society to look to talk to the poor in a democracy, talk to the poor and say, you're getting screwed. Look at these rich people here. And even though their standard of living went up two or three times, you're getting screwed. So in a relative sense, they can point to a few people. You know, today it's, you know, Elon and, and, and uh, the Jeff Bezos and whatnot that they have these billions of dollars. And so they can point to those few people very few people and, and talk to the poor and, and say, you're getting screwed. It's a simple solution here. Take from the rich, give to the poor. And that's a stratification that you mentioned there. And so that does occur. But in fact, people lose the sight of the fact that the poor people made out the best relative to anybody else in this and a relative standard of living improvement. And then you get, then you get the, well, we got to help the poor. And, and, and then some of the rich people, particularly in America, like the movie stars, you know, how, how would you like to be just a, a 22 year old, beautiful lady. And you, you you're, a, you're now a, a model and you're earning a million dollars a year. And, and you went to college, maybe or something, but you're just beautiful and you're earning these big bucks. And of course they're thinking, well, gosh, I'm earning so much money. And these poor people, I mean, I should give it away. I don't have a problem with taxation but they don't understand what, what wealth does and, and it supports the poor and supports their standard of living. So you go through this, this cycle where now you've got socialists basically coming in and getting elected in a democracy and then your growth rate goes down. You see that in Chile today, the last 10, 20 years, they moved to more of a socialist regime. So that's going on. So you know, when do people get you know, wise up to this and catch this? So, but over the, now you take the perspective of thousands of years, hundreds of years, and we have continually gone up and then down. And we go up as we, as we re, uh, to reinstall, re, revisit on our values 
and the, the way we should work together as human beings, you know, freely working together, voluntarily working together, respecting each other's bodies and the property. And then the economy goes up and the culture goes up. And then you get this spread again. And then and the, these people don't understand what capitalism is. They don't understand the philosophy involved. It's not, it's not being taught to people in, in schools as much anymore. So we lose the understanding of the basis of our prosperity. And that's not just economic, it's culture, it's human respect, the whole ball of wax, from arts to sports to business, we flourish. And then somehow we, we forget that and we go down again. So do we, and we usually catch ourselves before we burn. So hopefully we, we can catch ourselves again before, we, uh, before America can burn up. Well, well, Chris, I'll tell you, it's not lost on my family. My husband's from Mexico. He's right over the border from where you are. And my family's from Cuba. So we, we have a very recent reminder of how things are in those countries, which are clearly not respectful of private property and innovation and just the general philosophy, as you're mentioning, of capitalism. So this idea that, uh, you know, it's getting forgotten, I agree agree with you, but there are some of us out there who are wildly aware of, you know, the way things should be yeah. versus the way things are. Yeah. And it's, uh, it, it, we get comfortable and regardless of whether we're, we're very, very poor. And, and now we get an old beat up Volkswagen to drive around instead of a donkey, uh, or, or we go from a, a Chevy to a Cadillac, whatever it is, it's all relative. And we get used to this and, uh, that we get comfortable. Uh, but, uh, there's, there's some, rock hard values that are that are in place for us to flourish and for me it's 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 what i call human respect respecting each other's bodies and respecting each other's property we do that and then you let people pursue their happiness great things happen it's like magic well you know i just wish more of our political class had that idea that less is more and small is beautiful you know and the philosophy of freedom means that exactly what you're saying, Chris, which is respect, and that's something that everyone understands. So a big thanks to all of you as we follow the prophet. And I can't, I have no words for Chris Ruper. I mean, inspirational is, is what I would say. And I'm not just saying that. I interview people for a living. Chris has a lot of great insight. And, you know, I wish more people ran their businesses like Chris. And I evidently run my own small businesses like Chris and was unaware until I interviewed him. So thank you for showing me more about myself as I try to follow the profit. And of course, I would be amiss not to mention all the people that helped me with this podcast, Emiliano Limon, Scott Hantler, Cheyenne Reed, and everyone else around me. And of course, the titans that have made this happen, executive producer Newt Gingrich and Debbie Myers. I'm your host, David Grasso. I read your reviews. I'm interested in what you have to say about the show. Give us five stars and I'll check it out. Or give me one star and I'll also check it out. Follow the Prophet is a production of Gingrich 360 and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, where I get my podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All opinions expressed by David Grasso and his guests on the show are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Gingrich 360 or affiliates and may have been previously disseminated by David Grasso on this podcast 
television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by David Grasso as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. David Grasso's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither Gingrich Productions nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy and it should not be relied upon as such. David Grasso, Gingrich Productions, its affiliates and or subsidiaries are not under any obligation to update or correct any information provided on this website. David Grasso's statements and opinions are subject to change without notice. No part of David Grasso's compensation from Gingrich Productions is related to the specific opinions he expresses. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Neither David Grasso nor Gingrich 360 guarantees any specific outcome or profit. You should be aware of the real risk of loss in following any strategy or investment discussed on this website or on the show. Strategies or investments discussed may fluctuate in price or value. Investors may get back less than invested. Investments or strategies mentioned on this website or on the show may not be suitable for you. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. You must take an independent decision regarding investments or strategies mentioned on this website or on the show. Before acting on information on this website or on the show, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and strongly consider seeking advice from your own financial or investment advisor.